Hello, and welcome to Drawing a Dialogue. My name is Kathy G. Johnson. And I am Remus Jackson. We are cartoonists, scholars, and educators. On Drawing a Dialogue, we put comics into historical and educational contexts. In this episode, we'll be talking about racist police violence, uh, so please take care of yourself while listening. Mm -hmm. We are recording this on May 31st. George Floyd was murdered by Minneapolis police on May 25th. Breonna Taylor was murdered by the Louisville Metro Police Department in Louisville on March 13th, 2020. Tony McDade was murdered by the Tallahassee Police Department on May 27th, 2020. There are protests going on throughout North America against the ongoing murder of Black people at the hands of police. We've talked a lot about why we believe in police abolition on Drawing a Dialogue, but I wanted to pull this quote to remind ourselves of the racist and anti-Black history of policing in America. So this is from A Brief History of Slavery and the Origins of American Policing. It's written by Victor E. Capelier, Ph.D. The history of slavery and the control of minorities, however, were two of the more formidable historic features of American society shaping early policing. Slave patrols and night watches, which later became modern police departments, were both designed to control the behaviors of minorities. So this is a comics podcast. What are comics capable and not capable of doing? Um, so... I don't have a good transition here, to be it's honest. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't have a good transition, but um, when we we talked, we actually talked about, we had a different episode planned for today, and then we talked about this um, and decided to change tactics uh, in response to the ongoing um, protests. Um, so, but like Kathy said, um, since this is a comics podcast, um, we were sort of thinking about what like what Kathy just said like what comics can do but also like what they can't do and um I so I'm sort of thinking about um like comics as I don't know I feel weird about this because I don't actually think comics are activism so I'm like um (laughs) yeah no comics are not activism yeah and so we are trying to frame this as um what do we want comics um and what do we want cartoonists to be doing right now yeah. And I think it's important. Um, there have been almost 10 years of Black Lives Matter protests. And yeah. we've seen a lot of different iterations on what cartoonists um, try to do to help. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this one, as we've been moving through um, these protests, um, I feel like this time cartoonists are realizing how much making comics and drawing pictures is not activist work. Right. Yeah. Cause I think like, I wanted to sort of highlight like some comics that I think have, can be used as tools for activism, which I think you're going to do the same thing, like from an educational perspective. Yes. Um, right. So like, cause a lot, I've talked about this and a lot has been written about how comics can be used to visualize trauma and how comics are able to like, um, there's a lot of focus on like comics journalism in academia. So like Joe Sacco's work, uh, for example, um, who, he's a cartoonist who has documented like uprisings in Palestine um, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's 
a book by Hilary Shute called Disaster Drawn, which spends a lot of time with like Joe Sacco and other uh, comics journalists. Harriet Earle um, also has a book called Comics, Trauma, and the Art of War. And I've actually referenced Harriet Earle's like article that like I think became that book. Um before like talking about like auto bio as a way to like process trauma um but like i even with that i want to be like careful about how we frame it because i'm uh, i think like and this is a comic scholarship thing not like a cartoonist thing but a lot of times um the writing kind of falls into this ideological trap of like wanting to legitimize the form without thinking about like what's actually happening Mm -hmm. um because like i think about when we talk about like even things like that i think about um susan sontag's writings on photography and like war photography right Mm -hmm. um and sort of like what it means ethically to document pain without intervening um Mm -hmm. and there's not necessarily like a similar comics conversation about like that and i mean that's different right because when you're drawing a comic um you can be you don't necessarily have to be like on the field you can be on the field and then come home and do the comics so there's differences but like i i just want to be a little careful with that um but i think like some they're a tool right and they can be a really useful tool um and like what i go to is um abo comics right Mm -hmm. um which I think we've talked about ABO before, but um, ABO Comics is a collective of outside activists um, and insider um, queer prisoners, and uh, they uh, pr- produce like zines and um, anthologies, right? So they have three of these queer prisoner ma- uh, anthologies where the comics are made by uh, currently incarcerated queer artists. And they um, are currently getting pre-orders. They uh, collected comics by people on the inside about for, COVID. Um, for the COVID-19 pandemic, yes. Yeah. Um, and the thing about ABO um, and, uh, is that, like, the reason it's sort of, like, a, it stands out to me as a project is, one, because of the fact that it's currently incarcerated artists, obviously, but also the fact they... Um, the proceeds from it go back to the artists, um, right. like their commissaries or their families. Um, and they also distribute to other incarcerated people. Um, so it's like a really rare instance of like prisoner writing, being able to actually cross across different um, prisons, which doesn't usually happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and, and so like that to me has a more i wouldn't call like i wouldn't say like the drawings are activism but like the format of the book the way it's um distributed the materiality the fact that like it's written um funding people on the inside like all that kind of stuff that to me is like an example of um how like a comic can or people making a comic rather can sort of perform an activist Mm -hmm. um right right and i you know also things like um Strip AIDS and Strip AIDS USA, which were anthologies put together in 1988. Um, Strip AIDS was published in the UK. Strip AIDS USA is in the US um, by Last Gas Press. And this was an underground cartoonist's um, uh, collect. Like they put together an anthology and all the, the proceeds was like raising money for AIDS, but also the comics were like raising awareness about um, AIDS and. Um, not all, like some were educational, some were funny. It wasn't like a fully educational 
you know, underground cartoonist, you know, um, but, and that, you know, there's not a lot of work on strip aids and it's actually something I'd like to work with more. Um, cause I think it's a similar sort of important, um, anthology piece. But again, the reason I think it does that is not because of the art itself. It's because of the fact that like, it's being distributed in a certain way to, to raise money, to raise awareness. Right. Um, so I think, like, and I think that's why I'm glad you're sort of talking about the educational thing, because I think, like, one of the main sort of, if we want to, like, pin comics to activisms, one of the main ways is, like, the fact that they can be such a great tool to, like, learn, but also, like, to empathize in a real way. Um, mm-hmm. And I think also, like, I want to be, like, again, sort of careful with this, because um, I don't want to conflate, like, a person who is an activist and then makes political work with, like, a person who is making work to be activist, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I think those are two different things. But, like, I think, like, things like Bianca Eunice's Say Her Name, um, which is 100% like a tool for dialogue about, like, police brutality and black women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I – and I think, like, I go to, like, Bianca in that case, too, and Ben Passmore's work, too, um, because they are both actually activists. <laughs> like, they're both out there actually doing the work. And then the comics are support that and are part of that practice, right? So that's very different than someone, like, just drawing a picture and then stopping at drawing a picture and being like, this is activism. Right. Yeah, because I, I, I just want to, like, when I shout that out, I want to, like, be really careful about the ways that we sort of frame that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of, like, I, obviously this is not, like, fully realized, but I think that's okay. Um, I just wanted to sort of, like, talk about those, and especially, like, I feel like ABO and raise awareness about ABO is sort of always what I'm trying to do. Um, and I think, like, it can be a really good model for, like, other projects if people genuinely want to be, like, how can I use art making to do this work, right? Um, And then we also wanted to talk about Io, um, Io, who is, uh, who does, Io's a zinester and one of the founders of ABO, um, right? But they don't, they're, and they do some work with them still, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're um, doing a fundraiser right now um, for a bail for is is it what's what bail fund is it is it? Um, at the point of when Io was originally starting to organize, it was for a Minneapolis bail fund. But now I'm sure I don't want to put words into Io's mouth, but I'm sure that is likely going to sort of open up a little bit. So. Right. Um, so cartoonists and um, artisans have been donating art and books to um, an auction, and they're going to auction off the stuff to raise money. Um, so it's not online yet, but we will add the link to the show notes in the website when it's available, and we'll also tweet it. Um, so watch out for that. Um so I think actually to sort of put a through line on this, what I've sort of what was sort of has emerged in all of these instances is that um, the art has in some way been used to material inve- materially invest back into yeah. the community that they're trying to support, right? So either right. like directly paying prisoners, directly um, giving money to bail funds, um, people living with AIDS, like whatever it is. So I think like that's a a consideration for folks that are like thinking about like I, I how can I be an artist that does activism as, as opposed to like making just trying to like do art activism which I think maybe doesn't mm. exist <laughs> yeah um 
And so, uh, so what can educators do? Um, so as we talked about, comic books are not inherently an activist format. Um, like anything, it's how they're used. Um, but cartoonists are creating work that can be used as a tool in classrooms to allow teachers to have discussions in class about police brutality. Um, graphic novels um, that uh, come to mind are um, uh, I Am Alfonso Jones by Tony Medina. Uh, it's published by Lee and Low Books. It's from 2017. Um, this is a quote from socialjusticebooks.org. I'm Afonso Jones uh, provides young readers with a narrative that not only addresses the complexity and history of police brutality, but also discusses climate change, gun control, and criminalization of black males, the Black Lives Matter movement, youth ac- activism, Afro-Latindad, and so much more. Another book is March, book three by John Lewis, Andrew Aiden, and Nate Powell. It's from Top Shelf Books. It was published in 2016. This is a quote from my own website, comicarted.com. Nonviolent resistance is a significant aspect of what is taught from the 60s civil rights era, but what is often overlooked is the horrible violence that protesters faced. March Book 3 depicts the continuous violence that peaceful protesters faced time and time again at the hands of the police. While it can be difficult to read, knowing history can contextualize modern events of police brutality and the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that is key, especially for educators, especially in a cool school context, um, to realize that the um, erasure and the changing of historical nonviolent movements, historical civil rights movements, um, does a disservice to our students. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, making that connection of the police violence um, is helpful. Um <laughs> Yeah, this is, um, if, if I can, do you mind if I add something in here? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, this isn't a comic thing, but just thinking about education, um, there's so many opportunities to, like, no matter what you teach, to kind of, like, work this in, too. Um, I teach film, and one of the films we saw was Do the Right Thing um, by Spike Lee, which is about police brutality, if you haven't seen it. Um, and... It was such a good opportunity, um, you know, like, I had a majority white class, um, a lot of them, I think, were, like, familiar because of how um, prominent uh, police brutality has become in, like, discor- in our, like, mainstream discourse um, since mm-hmm. the Black Lives Matter movement, um, but they weren't familiar so much with the history um, of those movements, and, like, it's a, fil- you know, it's an intro to film class, it's not, like they didn't, it's not, like, a class they signed up for to learn about that stuff, but I was still able to sort of, like, take that and be like, okay, now we're gonna, like, unpack w- where this is coming from and how this, like, relates to what's going on now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these are, again, these are tools, right? These are tools for a classroom. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And then if you want more um, resources, Teaching Tolerance has a page um, with a lot of different articles on racism and police violence. Um, One example um, that I wanted to pull out is the way that violent videos in social media can trauma, traumatize um, young people. Mm -hmm. Um, So that might be important to um, look into. And how yeah. your uh, students may be experiencing trauma and mm-hmm. how you may be experiencing trauma as well. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of want to move into, if this episode is about um, the abolition of police, I wanted to start to move into ways in which 
we can um, defund and uh, remove police from our um, our circles in which we have um, power. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk about uh, school resource officers and cops on campus. Um, I went into depth on this topic in our episode 16, um, which is our incarceration and school to prison pipeline and resistance episode. Right. Um, but again, uh, so not all school resource officers are, are um, excuse me, not all police are school resource officers, but all SROs are police officers. So mm-hmm. SROs are actually police stationed in schools. Um, but even if a school doesn't have an SRO station there, there is a problem with general police officers being offered access to school campuses. Um, so I personally have actually had conversations with my administration about not allowing police onto our school campus um, for the safety of our students of color, particularly our black students. Um, when we talk about guns in schools, uh, we need to be critical against the police who are often welcomed onto campuses while being armed. Mm-hmm. Police are the ones who are bringing guns into our schools, um, and we should not be allowing that. This conversation I had was fruitful, and um, we, the administration then reinforced policies about not cooperating with police. Mm-hmm. Um because uh, sometimes police will come to campus and want to talk to students and ask us to bring students to them, um, and we should not be allowing that. Um, schools can be using uh, restorative justice techniques when incidents occur um, rather than calling police to campuses um, and putting all our students in danger. Even if it's not that single student, even the presence of uh, police on a campus or in a community um, puts everyone at danger. And for more... Um, uh, discussion on restorative justice and transformative du- justice you can listen to uh, episode 23 uh, which we'll also link in these show notes um, and so uh, for further read- reading you can read the Justice Police Institute they published something called the Education Under Arrest the Case Against Police in Schools and so I'll link that as well um, and to con- connect it to what is happening right in this moment um, the Minneapolis public school system broke ties with the Minneapolis Police Department in response um, to the killing of George Floyd. Mm -hmm. Um, So this can happen. This is possible. Um, So the Minneapolis School Board Director, Josh Pauly, um, he posted this tweet thread. I'm going to quote these tweets now. Our communities are in pain and our city is on fire as a result of MPD's blatant disregard for black lives. The people in our city are demanding justice. And while our school board does not have the ability or authority to arrest and prosecute the officers who murdered George Floyd, we do have the ability to send MPD a very clear message, not only through public statements, but through action. I wrote a resolution Tuesday with the support of Chair Kim Ellison and Director Saeed Ali to, one, terminate our contract with MPD, two, cease further negotiations with MPD, and three, direct the superintendent as a staff to devise an alternative plan to better serve our students. They're going to bring this resolution to before the full board on June 2nd. The Minneapolis public school system cannot align itself with the MPD and claim to fight institutional racism. We cannot partner with organizations that do not see the humanity in our students. We cannot be neutral in situations of injustice. And another thing that happened was that the University of Minnesota also broke a bunch of ties with the Minneapolis Police Department. 
Um, so the university president, Joan Gable, uh, stated in a letter that they will no longer contract MPD for additional security support for events or use specialized services such as canine explosive detective units prior to events. Um, but th- that is cutting some ties, but it's not cutting all the ties that they have with the MPD. So um, more mm-hmm. pressure should be put on the U of M to continue to cut those ties. Yeah. Um, and for your community, you should look to youth and student leadership. Um, in our city, Providence, Rhode Island, uh, there's the Providence Student Union, who has written the Student Bill of Rights. Um, and in Article 11, the Bill of Rights for students is students have the right to feel safe on campus and students have the right to schools free from police and ICE presence. Yeah. And another thing that can happen is um, in sort of like to address school culture. Um, is equity and inclusion faculty groups. Um, So it's the end of year meetings for a lot of schools right now. And I think uh, now is a good time um, as ever to bring up starting an equity and inclusion committee uh, for the faculty at your school if you don't have one yet. Um, It's a committee to be able to talk about school culture and climate and address concerns on campus and work to continue the change that we need everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, So not only we talked about a curriculum, in the actual um, lesson plans that we can teach with our students. Um, We talked about not allowing um, police in our schools, but even further, we should address the entire school culture and the way in which um, equity and inclusion and diversity work um, can be affected uh, throughout the school. Um, So a place to start is again at Teaching Tolerance. They have an equity work should start from the top article, um, and I'll also link that. Um, and then real quick it is the uh, schools are the community segment that we've been doing. Um, it's a segment that uh, where we talk about the public schools, pu- the Providence public school system, um, which has been experiencing a state takeover since uh, November 1st, 2019, uh, which is to- towards the beginning of our current school year. Um, so this just a small update is that uh, the Rhode Island governor, Gina Raimondo, is cutting the school budget Um supposedly due to the um, economic downturn um, because of Um, Mm COVID-19. She is proposing to cut nearly uh, $4 million from Providence's proposed school budget, which is exclusively that $4 million is coming from eliminating teacher positions and staff reductions, which is exactly the opposite of what Providence public schools need desperately. Right. Especially during a state takeover. Right. Um, is losing staff. Right. Um, so a proposal that Reclaim RI has um, suggested is maybe cut funding for wasteful police and prison expenditures. An example, the proposed 35 million state bol- police barracks. Why do we need a 35 million state police barracks <laughs> new um, when we just need 4 million uh, for Providence Public Schools um, to right. not no longer eliminate these uh, staff. Um, and there was a protest yesterday um, f- called Tax the Rich, No Cuts yesterday, but it overlapped with the Black Lives Matter protest, so that has been po- po- postponed, and those protests um, actually sort of converged because um, uh, they are a similar... Um, you know, everything's connected. Yeah, no, totally. Like, <laughs> there's, you can't separate these things. 
Right. Yeah. If you're increasing funding for the police, then... Yeah. So, it's our conclusion now. Um, I just talked a lot. Do you have anything you would, li- would like to put in? Um. Yeah, I think, you know, we didn't talk, like, if you're a person who is sort of new to this conversation, um... I've been spending sort of the last few days having a lot of, like, conversations with folks who, like, are open to the idea of abolition, um, but maybe, like, don't understand it super good or don't know what the alternatives are. Um, and obviously, like, we, t- we have the restorative transformative justice episode, so I do recommend listening to that. I recommend listening to the incarceration school-to-prison pipeline episode. Um but there's a lot more, you know, like, the the history of policing in this country, like, the history of law in this country is mm. made through the, the vulnerability to death of the black populace. And, um, like, if you, we can maybe put, like, further reading in the show notes, um, because it's sort of a big topic, um, but it, it is, like, it's, if you're, like, new to this, it's a hundred, it's, like, a hundred percent true, um, that police came from, like, are the modern day, um, evolution of slave patrols. It's a hundred percent true that mass incarceration is, um, modern day slavery um you can look at the history of slavery you can look at how you know the southern convict leasing um uh, in this in the post-slavery era you can look at jim crow like all of these things So, so i would recommend like especially if you're white and you're um you know like in your head you're like i I understand, like, why it's bad, but, like, instinctively I feel discomfort at the idea of there not being police anymore or things like mm-hmm. that, um, which happens because, right, we're, we're – white people are told our whole lives that police are there to protect us, right? So when you're, like, groomed, essentially, to believe that, then, of course, you're going to feel discomfort when you first start to challenge it, especially if you – aren't in a position to have been confronted by police brutality in a very material way before. Um, So this would be, this is a really good time, I think, to, you don't have to rush in and join the conversation immediately. You can learn a little bit, like take some time and read and like really familiarize yourself with what people are saying and, um, you know, uh sort of like start to learn about alternatives start to like unlearn carceral mindsets start to like challenge yourself on like what's punishment why do you think people need to be punished what do you think people need to be punished for um like why do you go to those places um mm-hmm. and you know that sort of stuff because like i think um i mean it's it's the more and more like visible like it, the reason the reason I'm the theory person on this podcast is because I genuinely believe that like to you need to do the material action, but you also need to like read and learn and like mm-hmm. listen to what people are saying and like understand and unpack. And that's what theory does is it helps us take what's happening and make sense of it and unpack it and help us see how things are connected. Mm-hmm. Um 
so I'll, we'll we'll put in the show notes i'll put together there's like a, a bunch of like resource lists that other people have written um and then i'll also there's uh our prisons obsolete which is uh angela davis's book um like the seminal text on um prison and police abolition um is a free ebook right now so i'll grab the link for that also and we can put cool. that down there um and you can just read <laughs> <laughs> And if you do, if you do go back and listen to our episodes on incarceration, the school to prison pipeline, and transformative justice, we uh, part of the work that we do because we are both white um, is we uh, are tr- do our best to cite uh, black academics, yeah. black people. Um, so if you do listen to our podcast, also go into our citations, go into the show notes, and yes. read the primary works. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you. That was mm-hmm. awesome. Um, and then also there's a lot of uh, materiality uh, happening right now. So a lot of donating money. So yes. continue to donate money to bail funds, um, not only for protesters, but to get everyone out of crowded cages while there is a can- contagious pandemic happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there is an ever shifting need for where money needs to go. Um, and one- And once some time passes, uh, to s- continue to support protesters, the need may start shifting to medical expenses and legal fees. So keep an eye on where money needs to go. Um, so I am, uh, perhaps we aren't going to link specific bail funds in the show notes, but um, I'm going to keep an eye because that stuff changes. Um, right. But we will maybe start linking stuff in our uh, Twitter feed, drawing a dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so if you want um, a more updated thing, you can go to um, uh, other sources, but um, yeah. we'll do our best to update our Twitter feed as well. Yeah, and can I also say, even if you live um, in a community where there haven't been um, like as dramatic or like as big of protests and there m- maybe isn't like as much visibility, um, there's probably a bail fund <laughs> And you should, if you can, if you're able, absolutely set up, set up a recurring, like a monthly donation to it. Um, Because like Kathy said, we need to get everyone out. Um, So like, look for, you know, obviously help the protesters or help folks who need it. uh, But like, also pay attention to um, your own local community, your own local community's needs, even if those needs aren't as visible. And um, right now we are focusing on... uh what the current what is the current happenings um but we have a lot of individual influence in our circles yes so if you are looking to influence and make change and um amplify black voices and um abolish the police and prisons um find the circles find the communities that you have influence on um Mm -hmm. for educators that is your school um for other people, it might be uh, local bail funds. It might be local ICE facilities that you can go fight. Um, it might just be your family that you can talk to and friends. For, um, yeah, for graduate students. Influence. Yeah, for graduate students, your colleagues, the people in your cohorts. Yeah. Like We all have influence somewhere, and that's yeah. where we should be working. Yeah. So... Uh, Thank you to Downtown Boys uh, for their song, Wave of History. You can head over to drawingadialogue.com to view a citation for this podcast and all our other podcasts. Yeah, and Drawing a Dialogue is 
excuse me, hosted by Comic Art Ed, um, which is Kathy's Comic Arts Education website. So also check that out. Thank um, you. you. You can email us, of course. <laughs> you can email us at um, drawingadialogue at gmail.com. Um, if you have questions, if you want to chat, if you want to like challenge us on anything, um, you know, please. That's what the dialogue is for. Um, and you can follow us on Twitter at Draw a Dialogue. You can follow me on Twitter at E H E T J A, E H E T J A. And you can follow me at C A T H Y G J O H N, Kathy G. John. Um, I also have a YouTube channel now um, that is going to be linked at comicarted.com. Um, all summer, because of this pandemic, I'm going to actually be making videos for my students. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have young people or have people that need um, uh, some education over the summer, I'm going to be doing a lot of free resources this summer. So uh, thank you so much for listening to Drawing a Dialogue. My name is Kathy G. Johnson. And I'm Remus Jackson. Um, and we wanted to actually end this episode um by reading off uh an incomplete not a complete list unfortunately but a list of the the names of uh black people who have been murdered by the police um since uh, this list is i believe since 2014 um it's i got this list from um npr's code switch um and per and i also wanted to say that per mappingpoliceviolence.org um the police killed 1099 people in 2019 um so they didn't have 2020 numbers yet but okay tony mcdade brianna taylor regis krachinski paquette george floyd michael Cloren michael lorenzo dean eric reason christopher mccorvey christopher whitfield Tatiana Jefferson, Dominique Clayton, Pamela Turner, Botham Jean, Botham Jean, Antoine Rose II, Stefan Clark, Ronell Forster, Foster, Aaron Bailey, Jordan Edwards, Alteria Woods, Paul O'Neill, Terrence Crutcher, Philandro Castile, Alton Sterling, Sylville Smith, Terrell Thomas, Willie Tillman, Demarcus Seamer, Mary Truxillo, Kevin Hicks, Darius Robinson, Tori Robinson, Peter Gaines, Marco Loud, Christopher Davis, Deshaun Perks, Kaylin Rockmore, David Joseph, Wendell Celestine, Anthony Scotts, Rand Randy Nelson, Janet Wilson, Keith Childress Jr., Quintonio Legriere, Betty Jones, Kevin Matthews, Michael Noel, Miguel Espinal, Benny Lee Tignor, Nathaniel Harris Pickett, Richard Perkins, Jamar Clark, Michael Lee Marshall, Levante Biggs, India Kager, Tyree Crawford, Alonzo Smith, Anthony Ashford, Dominic Hutchinson, Patterson Brown, Lamontis Jones, Junior Prosper, Keith Harrison McLeod, Felix, Felix, Felix Kumi, Ashams Farrell Manley, Troy Robinson, Christian Taylor, Brian Keith Day, Michael Saddle, Samuel Dubose, Billy Ray Davis, Darius Stewart, Albert Joseph Davis, Sandra Bland, Silvano Ellswood, Joseph Mann, Freddie Blue, 
Jonathan Sanders, Victor Manuel LaRosa, Brendan Glenn, Alexia Christian, William Chapman II, Walter Scott, Eric Harris, Philip White, Mia Hall, Anthony Hill, Tony Robinson, Natasha McKenna, Frank Smart, Matthew Ajibade, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Raid, Rumaine Brisbane, Tamir Rice, Akai Gurley, Tanisha Anderson, Laquan McDonald, Michelle Cusso, Dante Parker, Delron Small, Azelle Ford, Michael Brown, John Crawford III, and Eric Gardner.